We say, what are the objective factors that have resulted in the crisis for the country? Objective factors, not subjective factors, not feelings. We don't want to hear that loyalty to a certain person. We don't want to hear about love or anger. No, we want to talk about objective factors that led to the situation, right? Poverty of black masses. Are black people poor? Yes or no? It's an objective thing. You can't debate about it. Why are they poor? Why are black masses poor? Okay. Uh, poverty of the black masses, ownership of the means of production in the hands of the bourgeoisie. Is this a fact or not? It's not a subjective question. Ownership of the means of production, the things that the factories, the roads, the land, is it in the hands of white people? Is it in the hands of white ruling class? Is it in the hands of all these colonizers or is it in the hands of black poor people in the ghetto. These are objective things that you cannot really quibble about, right? How did the bourgeoisie get these resources? How did white people get this uh, factory that they're living in, uh, owning this farm, this firm, the land, the roads, the mines? How did they get them? How? That's the question. That was an excerpt from African Workers Are Rising Up. Who are the Real Looters in South Africa? By Asa Ampu, Secretary General of the African People's Socialist Party, Occupied Zania, South Africa. You can view the full recording at the Burning Spear TV YouTube channel. Uhuru, welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Owen. And I'm Dexter M. Lemwingu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. The African working class has risen up in Southern Africa. From July 9th to July 17th, Africans took to the streets of South Africa in protest of the neo-colonial government and brutal conditions they live under. As well, the African working class in the neighboring country of Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, have also risen up in protest. The colonial media has tried to explain the uprisings in South Africa as support for the jailed former president, Jacob Zuma. South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa has also echoed the talking points of the former apartheid regime by blaming the unrest on outside agitation. COVID-19, unemployment, and other immediate factors have also been pinpointed by some analysts as the cause for the unrest. But none of the mainstream media talking points identified a central contradiction that has defined the global uprising of the African working class over the last year, colonialism the political and economic exploitation of African people by foreign and alien powers. From South Africa to Eswatini to the United States, we see that the colonial domination of African people can take many forms, but the African masses are united in their yearn for bread, peace, and black power. On today's episode of the People's War Show, we look at the situation in Southern Africa with direct attention to the uprising in South Africa. We are joined by three organizers on the ground in South Africa, Tafari Mugheri, Asa Ampu, and Sakele Mkondo. Tafari Mugheri is the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, Occupied Asani. Chairman Tafari is also the director of organization for Africa. Under Tafari's leadership, African Socialist International has grown throughout various regions of Southern, Western, and East Africa. Tafari is joined by Asa Ampu, 
Asa is the Secretary General for the African People's Socialist Party Occupied Zania. Asa is also the director of the Better Life Association, a nonprofit organization dedicated to solving the problems of healthcare, education, and skills development in the townships. Lastly, we're joined by Zakele Mkonda. Zakele is the president of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement in South Africa. Uhuru, everyone, and welcome to the show for the first time, Zakele. Uhuru, Uhuru, Vice President. Uh, I'm very glad uh, to be here uh, on the show, Uhuru. Uhuru, Uhuru. Asa, let's begin with you. As the news of the uprisings in South Africa emerged, I remember being honestly confused. As you all know, I've deeply studied the history of African liberation struggles in Southern Africa, and I simply did not believe what the media was saying. If you remember, I immediately hit you and Director Tafari on WhatsApp for clarity. That's when you told me you were going live on Facebook to give African internationalists clarity to the situation, and that you did. So can you explain the events of the last week and a half? What was the cause? Yeah, Uhuru comrade, Matamela Odom, uh, thank you so much, Siabonga, uh, to you and Brother Dexter Mlumwengu. I want to appreciate U Chairman Tafari and his leadership uh, in the Africa region. Uh, so I would like to respond to that by saying that the main cause of this thing is the crisis of existence for Black people, for masses of our people, the crisis being what? Colonialism. You know, colonialism causes the crisis in our lives. So when we stand up against colonialism, it creates a crisis for colonialism, a crisis for imperialism. So that's the main cause behind this thing. I know that the bourgeoisie confused uh, a lot of our people and a lot of other people in the world by telling everyone uh, the narrative that this was due to a protest for some political sellout over another, you know, but the truth of the matter was um, the people need bread peace and black power. So that's what's, that's what's got us here, Uhuru. Uhuru, Uhuru, Asa. So can you describe some of the events that you witnessed uh, over the last week and a half? Yes, sir. Um, there have been people, uh, African workers, feeling a feeling of excitement, you know, a feeling of some kind of direction in some kind of way. It may not be something that's clearly defined as we make the resources that we are having no access to at the mall, so we want it back. But it's rather something like, look, the parents are telling the children, aren't you guys going to get something for your survival at all? Because we need some diapers and nappies and all these other kinds of things. So that's what we saw. The whole community in frenzy just going out and saying, yo, it's like uh, I don't know, hunting season, or was it like fruit picking season? That's what everybody was like on the day that happened here in Everton West on the 12th. <laughs> That's how it looked. So this is part of the crisis of imperialism, crisis of colonialism. How this thing really looks on the ground is our people uh, going there, not necessarily having any kind of political explanation for what's happening, nor even the bourgeois defined political explanation that we are protesting for Zuma. No, the, the people are saying, I need bread. I need, I need some food for my children. I need this. Uh, I need that. You understand? So that's the kind of thing that's happened. The violence coming from the state, the police have been terrorizing the community, coming in here, flashing blue lights and whatnot, 
um, you know, shooting at the people. You understand? All these kinds of things have been done against this, uh, the, the people. But what's been also interesting is the fact that the police are scared of the people. When, when Before this thing reached the media, the this thing happened, and the police were actually standing, saying, hey, look, you uh, just, you know, just try to ignore these people because we don't get paid enough to do this thing. And there's no patriotism in the colonized uh, people becoming part of the state. So that's kind of a positive outturn in some way. But yeah, mainly the, there's been a, a lot of, of, of excitement around this issue and a lot of confusion as well. No organization, so therefore the people get condemned. But um, our job is to stop that condemnation and to turn it around and condemn the real perpetrator, Uhuru. Uhuru, uh, Zakeli, how did you experience the last week and a half? Uhuru, uh, comrades, yes. Uh, first, I would like to uh, salute uh, Chairman Omalia Shitel and our leadership, Luwezi Kinshasa, and also our Director Tafari. In South Africa, it's been hectic, uh, Vice President. So. It's been quiet since uh, 1994. They, they stopped uh, uprisings that started in uh, June uh, 16, 1976. So those uprisings are, are starting to come back because uh, the people are realizing that uh, the situation has not changed. We're still living under uh, the same condition that they were under apartheid. So we've seen uh, Amarayots, uh, of the African working class, the same riots that we saw in the 70s, in the 80s. So uh, what is happening here in South Africa is the crisis, as uh, Secretary General was saying, Asa, the crisis of colonialism, the crisis of imperialism, the peri bourgeoisie are fighting among themselves. So uh, they're trying to, to get hold of the resources here in occupied Azania. So, they are causing a crisis uh, since they put uh, white power in black face. So now the African uh, working class are also uh, rising their conscience to say to say that why do those people uh, are fighting themselves? Why they have been stealing our resources? Uh, those black uh, sellout they've been there in power, but stealing money uh, that's supposed to build roads, that's supposed to build school. It was the African working class who say, if they are fighting among them, themselves, we're going to take what is ours. So the African working class joined, uh, went in to, 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 to take what belongs to us. So that's what has been happening, but Prada Matsamela. So uh, the crisis uh, is there. I've seen it also here where I met in Pinari, or in Pumalanga, the province of Pumalanga in the east of South Africa. We want to say, we we'll put an organization that 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 will uh, will strengthen the people to 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 fight back to, to make the people fight under organization because uh, this is what we we've been waiting for here in occupied Azania because they defeated us uh, with this neo colonialism uh, so now is the time these riots are telling us about the time we are in is the new period uhuru uhuru as african internationalists we know that colonialism is foreign and alien domination of a people for the purpose of economic exploitation and political advantage. To strip a people of all human and civil rights and to rule without regard to law. But a specific form of colonialism Africans in South Africa have faced is settler colonialism. Asa, can you define the history of settler colonialism in South Africa first? 
settler colonialism in South Africa begins in 1652 with a man heading a ship uh, filled with 80 some odd uh, brigands, uh, Dutch settler, some of them French, white people basically here uh, in 1652. Uh, and that is the beginning, that's the inception basically of South Africa, the settler colony. You know, sometimes people make the mistake of thinking South Africa and uh, you know, the tip of Africa are actually synonymous. No, South Africa is a settler colony. It's a government. It's a country created out of the consequences of colonialism. So it sustains colonialism. Settler colonialism in this case is the colonizer sitting and living on the land of the colonized and displacing the colonized ourselves, putting us into the ghettos, into the shanties and spreading us across the earth just as we are right here. Because when the white people did what they did here in South Africa, the Dutch uh, usually like to say that, uh, you guys uh, ran away from this land. We found it empty. And when they say those kinds of things, they mainly mean that they killed everyone that they could find here and settled on top of living and dead, you know, dead bodies. That's basically what I could say about settler colonialism, you know. So they, they say they say you ran from there and then they came and discovered it. Oh yeah. <laughs> After they killed everybody there, they'll they'll tell you that no there was no one here. Because they killed everybody. That's how it goes. How it goes. <laughs> Chairman Tafari. Africans in the southern African kingdom of Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, have also risen up. Can you explain the situation in Eswatini in relation to the uprising in South Africa? Yeah, just to respond on the on the question of Swaziland, because Swaziland is supposed to be a monarchy, right? And it borders the uh, South Africa on the on, on the east. Uh, we speak the same dialect, the same language. This is Swat, you know. So more or less, you know, it's the same thing. Uh, but then the, the colonizer decided that uh, we'll be different nations, you know. So the whole concept of nations, as defined by colonialism, it was uh, constructed without regard for, you know, like the culture, you know, the kind, the kind of uh, cultural affinities, dynamics, and all of those kind of things. So uh, colonialism actually negates our humanity. It doesn't consider anything about what we were prior to the white man coming here. It's like we uh, began to exist as soon as the white man got here. So if uh, speaking of Swaziland, the African people in Swaziland, as well as Africans here in Okipalazania, we are Africans and uh, we are colonized, you know, we live under colonialism. Eh? And one more thing that I want to say is that I think President Zakele did speak about resistance. There's been resistance like uh, in Okiparazania as well as in um, in Swaziland, first with direct colonialism, the white man being there as uh, like trying to turn Swaziland into a British protectorate and even South Africa uh, into a like a settler colony, like um, like just purely a settler colony uh, without uh, any interference by African people. That's what they tried to do here in the 70s when they had this thing of uh, the Bantu stands uh, saying they're granting uh, independence to, uh, to to the African tribes, calling us tribes and saying, Bavenda, we will have your vendor there, Basulu, you have your Natal, and uh, Tosa, uh, you have your Siske or Transke and so forth, because they wanted to have uh, this. A part of Africa as their own as a settler colony, 
And uh, the same thing they uh, they do with Swaziland, saying that Swaziland uh, can just be over there as a tiny thing. So we're saying that we reject uh, the borders, we reject the, the false national identity that the, the colonizer gives us, and African people continue to resist. And uh, even today we are resisting colonialism, and uh, we are struggling against neocolonialism. Uh, people speak, or oh, some people have had uh, uh, some, uh, like, uh, very bourgeois pundits are uh, talking about uh, Swaziland being uh, feudalistic, that we need to liberate our African people of from feudalism. But we're saying that what Africans over there experiencing is neocolonialism, the same way here in Okipeda Zania we are experiencing uh, neocolonialism. Because uh, if you look at King Swati, Swati plays the same role as uh, the ANC plays here. You know, they allow these uh, you know, foreign imperialistic, capitalistic companies to come and expropriate our resources as well as exploit our labor and so forth. They do the same thing. The mine uh, companies that are working over there, they do uh, like uh, you have Glenco and all these other parasitic uh, entities that are exploiting our resources and our labor in Switzerland as well as it's being done over here. You know, so we say it is the same thing. It might have... Um, uh, you know, express itself in different forms of the state. As the chairman says, like uh, under apartheid, we were in it. Uh, apartheid is a form of the colonial state. But right now we have uh, the rainbow ANC nation uh, as, uh, as another form of the um, colonial state. So we're saying it's the same struggle, uh, same people, and uh, we have to be able to uh, envision a, a struggle that unifies the entire African continent. So, Uhuru. Oh, yeah, thanks for that. You know, I really appreciate the way through which you raise the um, understanding, not as some idea of a struggle against feudalism, but as a struggle against a neocolonialism, as we know, white power and black face. So, uh, Asa, for a long time, Africans in the U.S. have followed and supported the struggle for African liberation in Southern Africa. A settler colony, uh, South Africa, is arguably uh, the most technologically developed country in Africa. Of course, we know that all of those resources are used to enrich the white settler population and European and white North American imperialism. Nevertheless, if the African working class can seize the control of the means of production in South Africa, what do you think that would mean for the African revolution throughout Africa? Yeah, Uhuru, comrade. Um, man, that's a beautiful question. I'll tell you one thing. South Africa does have a lot of industrialization uh, in terms of production, on the scale of production. And Chairman had noted this uh, when we uh, were together in 2018. What it would mean is that African workers from all over the world would be able to speed up the process of equalizing and solving, I mean, neutralizing the problems of uh, living in these underdeveloped areas, which are sometimes called rural areas, you know, as if somehow we are supposed to be stuck in a certain kind of social, uh, you know, in a certain state of production. So that's what it would mean. If we could destroy South Africa, as we like to say here, you know, if we could free and liberate Africa, if we could destroy this cancer right here, what that would do is free up the productive forces on the continent, uh, on the southern tip of our continent, and therefore be able to spread that around throughout our nation. 
because we really have a lot of resources here. It's just that they're being, um, you know, blocked up by this border that's known as South Africa. So, yeah, Uhuru. Uhuru. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Tafari McGarry, Asa Ampu, and Zakele Mkondo. The U.S. and South Africa are separated by thousands of miles. Yet, there's a profound unity of Africans from the U.S. and South Africa. In opposition to the colonial narrative, Africans have produced our own cultural products to unite our struggle. We can see this in African literature, music, film, dress, and even dance. What's called stepping in the U.S. derives from the boot dance done originally by African miners in South Africa. Zakele and Asa, you're both heavy into hip-hop. How have you noticed hip-hop promoting African cultural unity? Brother Zakele, you should go first, Sibo. <laughs> hey, Sibo, you got to speak on that. You got to speak on the Sibo, because I love Sibo. Uh, I love oh, that, 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 that's one of the first conversations we had, Zakele. So yeah, speak on it. Because because I just want to say that Sibo is an interesting person because it's not a person through which we would generally associate with being a quote-unquote political rapper. But over 20 years ago, he released a song that was called The Deadly Game. It came out in like 1998. And it was critical of the three strikes law. And it had, and because of that album, it was called Till My Casket Drops, he was put back in prison. So we can judge a person's politics based off of uh, the, the, the political reaction he gets. And here he is. He wrote a song in defense of the African working class. And for that reason, uh, he was put in prison, you know, uh, uh, because of the, the rap song he made in opposition to these colonial laws. So, yeah. What, what do you think about that? Yes, Uhuru, uh, Vice President. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that that's what I, I also like about hip-hop or culture. So uh, when a rapper raps about what is happening in the community, uh, that, that's what uh, makes me like a, a rapper or to, to feel their music. So artists like Sibo are the artists like, that, that report the, the situation that is faced by the African workers, even though they don't have a organization uh, to 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 push the the, the struggle, but uh, I listen to them, and that, that's how uh, I I reach uh, information like knowing about Malcolm X, knowing about the Black Panther Party, is through uh, hip hop. When I grew growing up, listening to the, those rappers there in America, uh, rapping about uh, the your uh, UEP, uh, so. That's the music I wanted to 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 listen to because uh, it it was telling me about the, the the struggle that I was not part of in the sixties. So I grew up uh, conscious about what happened in the sixties through the music. So that's what made me to go and research more about the struggle that that t- t- took me to hip hop or to African inter- internationalism. So uh, e culture or hip hop is a culture. So I think it can be a tool uh, that 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 can be used by the the African internationalists to 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 win uh, or to promote African internationalism. Uh, if we can have a 
many rappers uh, that uh, rap about the African internationalism, uh, like we do those uh, songs that uh, can be played in the club, nice songs. Uh, uh, that even if it's like uh, uh, we can play when we're doing outreaches. So the the more hip hop is involved within the uh, African internationalism, I think it can be uh, taken back from the, the the capitalist system. So I want to say uh, uh, I love uh, I grew up like listening to Tupac uh, Shakur uh, since I was like nine years old. So he was the one who who, who was like telling us the stories of uh, the ghettos there in America feeling like uh, in America, they're living like us here uh, in, in, in Pinar, yeah, in our ghettos, yeah, in, in the townships, uh, feeling the struggle, they're selling all the drugs or the mother's own uh, drug addictions. So it was the same thing that we're witnessing here, the gangs that they, they're rapping about. So it's something that, that, that we grow up seeing as the, the kids. So hip hop uh, play a huge role on my part. Uh, so I think it's culture. So that that, that for me now, uh, culture is the revolution. So I think hip hop can be brought back to the revolution. I think hip hop would be a really great tool, as Sister Sada Shakur said, that it's like a knife. You can use it to cut your brother or you can use it to cut bread for your brother. So it, it can kill or it can heal. It depends on the class that's wielding it. And I agree with President Zakele. Hip hop has been wielded by the petty bourgeoisie in the service of the bourgeoisie for its own selfish interests, uh, which are also short lived, by the way, which are also very limited and, you know, vacuumed, you know. So that, that, that's something that I'm very critical of in terms of hip hop, even the terminology. I don't, I don't like how hip hop we uh, speak in terms of black women. You know, I, that's why I don't make a whole lot of music because I sometimes struggle. Am I being too critical of, 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 of the language that's being used? But you know what? I'm a worker. Uh, we're going to fix it up the, the way that we should as workers. We're going to own it. Because if I, as a worker, do not rap about myself and my class and my people as workers, then it simply means that no one's going to talk about our situation, right? Why give the petty bourgeoisie so much space? So we crush these suckers. And we move our mouth the way because lyrically we are better than them anyway, you know, without even having to practice or take drugs. We're naturally living these lives that these people claim, you know, but we're trying to solve problems. We're not trying to glorify negativity and capitalism and colonialism. Uhuru. But shouts to dead prayers. Dead prayers, Ascari X, Zanoma history, Ascari X, you know, RBGMC, Ascari X, dead prayers, Jamila. Umi, you know, maintain Nimrod. <laughs> yeah, they, they basically inspired me. To, immortal Technique, you know, they inspired me to be on that path of, of really being an organizer more than just being a rapper. So, yeah, Uhuru. Uhuru. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, I mean, what you said, um, as far as that, I started quote, you know, as you guys, I know you, you were touching on the hip hop webinar we did a while ago now. That's really resonated with me because, you know, it's true. And, um, you know, culture is a really, really powerful weapon. And I'm glad you brought up Dead Prayers because they came to mind as well. I mean, I thought, I think Dead Prayers is a prime example of just, you know, exposing all these different contradictions, exposing all these struggles, exposing some African unity. I mean, I've, I've spoken to a number of people from the U.S. to to South Africa 
to, to age or even who all well pointed at dead prayers as people who've been real instrumental in bringing them to a revolutionary conclusion, you know? Direct Safari. So you're not so much into rap music, but you are deeply a fan of reggae. So how does reggae promote a cultural unity of Africans in South Africa and beyond? So for me, uh, reggae music uh, has been uh, like a source of information, like Uzakele was saying. But to know that, okay, um, if, if you have Peter Tosh in, in Jamaica saying that as long as you're a black man, you're an African. And I'm here, I begin to get that, that sense of pride of being an African person. And because... I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. I think I heard this from Asa saying that Kalamba. He once mentioned that you know you you're dealing with uh, African like contradictions around who you are in the United States. You have to teach people that they're Africans, but even here you have to teach people that they're Africans. You have to remind them that you are an African. You know, sometimes we forget. You think, oh, you just Zulu vendor, or maybe you just um, are sometimes South African as much as most most people don't you don't care much about their South African. Uh, you know, uh, categorization and so forth. So reggae music uh, has has been, like like I said, a source of information, but also, uh, you know, just, um, you know, learning, learning the fact that African people can be creative, so creative. I find uh, reggae artists, like, to be very, extremely creative. You know, they could, they could just get into a studio and one person plays the lead guitar, the next person comes with the piano and then uh you know like someone they did like bad vocalist then the lead singer and so forth and then they they have a jam there you know a song and then they start to record you know i found that to be an exciting thing to learn more about uh, reggae music to learn more about african people and uh including our struggles so if you listen to someone like uh benning spear for example you know um he talks about uh, resistance. He has an al- al- album called Resistance, you know, and then you also get like someone like uh, Bob Marley talking about uh, the black man's uh, redemption and so forth. And you get a sense of oh, Africa, the way it is right now. Actually, it has a a, a, um, a past that is not uh, you know like tied to colonialism, being dominated by white people, being in the shanties, uh, and and dominate and and, and colonized. But then we can actually envision an Africa that is liberated, an Africa that is uh, redeemed, you know? So that kind of spirit from reggae music for me has been uh, the, the thing that gravitated me more to the, uh, to the music. So I just want to say that, comrade. So I've been on that, uh, on that journey since, yeah, since I was born. Uhuru. Uhuru. We've been talking about the unity of the African nation and African culture. But let's move to another form of unity and struggle, Tafari. If I'm correct, you and Asa were active in the mass campaigns of African students in South Africa. Fees must fall and roads must fall. This arose at the same time as campus activism in the U.S. How do you think the demands of those campaigns linked to struggles in the United States and South Africa at that time? Yeah, Uhuru, you know, like, uh, yeah, thank you, comrade uh, Matsamela. And uh, yeah, I was still in a university then. Uh, and I know Asa was uh, was already out, but then he he did come to the campuses and we worked together to, you know, to get um, the students to unite with the working class. That's what we were saying that, you know, your, your struggle as students 
cannot be solely defined as this isolated thing uh, about students and the fees and so forth, right? Because that's what we were fighting for when, when ASA came to the campus yesterday. Um, and, and then, of uh, course, it happened for like uh, two years, if I'm not mistaken, 2015 and um, in 2016. I wasn't really uh, con conscious or aware even for about the uh, what you have just mentioned in terms of uh, of the of the United States, you know. But uh, one thing uh, that uh, that we were we referred to a lot at that time is a document written by S. G. Lewis entitled uh, "The Role of African Intellectuals in the World." You know, so we use that document a lot to say students in themselves are not a class; they are not a class in themselves. Because you find like some of us coming from the ghetto, from the townships, uh, you know, working class and some coming from like some rich families and so forth, or students coming from all, uh, you know, like uh, directions, you know, in terms of how South Africa uh, is, is structured, you know, um, uh, as, as, as a settler colony. And when we get there, we are being manufactured, we are being trained uh, to enter into the petty bourgeois class. And you find that students, a lot of students, because by that time already, we were already uh, in the Uhuru movement, right? And um, and we had learned about uh, how colonialism uh, came to being and how these institutions are all merely comprised the superstructure that is based on an economic base of exploiting African labor, dispossessing African people, uh, and, uh, and just the whole colonial domination of Africans is what is required to produce even the institutions themselves. So that's what we were saying to the students there. And, um, and, and, and we had. Um, Initially, when it started, it was around the fees. Actually, in, 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 in the university that I was in, in Advert University, and um, it just kept um, more and more. I think there was some kind of development in terms of taking it beyond the question of fees because even some workers were involved in that. But then it never went to the extent of recognizing the need for revolution. It never went to the extent of uh, recognizing the fact that we have to build you know, a, a, a revolutionary party under the leadership of the African working class. So I think it was um, a moment that exposed the fact that there's this need for, 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 for continued struggle. The struggle continues. Uh, African people are not free. Uh, I think there were some things that were exposed and expressed by students, but a lot of them, comrade, I don't know if I should say this in one go, but I was there and uh, I knew a lot of them. Most students that you find some were just simply there to build their careers and these were so-called student leaders you know uh these are some of the things that that, that 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 we witnessed there and if you look at them right now they did they did succeed in terms of them building a platform uh for them to be recognized for one thing or another but our chairman omalisha he made a video it's a 10 minute video i'm sure you can go there and, and check out our omalisha on responding to the fees must fall uh, and he spoke calling on students to join the revolution Join the revolution because the struggle did, did not start in 2015 when students recognized that there's an issue around fees and uh, and and and, uh, and racism uh, within the, the institutions. It's been there and it's been fought, and uh, we have to be able to identify, uh, recognize that as part and parcel of everything else that's happening within this system, uh, you know, of uh, colonial capitalism. So, I just want to say that it was. Um, it, 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 it had a, an, an impact, there was an, it had an impact. The same way with this whole thing around the, uh, this, these riots, recent riots around Zuma and, uh, you know, just uh, uh, 
like uh, vandalizing the, 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 the malls and so forth, right? This is, impacts the consciousness of the people. You know, we begin to get more confidence. And I know students got confidence at that time. And even now the workers got confidence when they went there to take back what belongs to us. So, um, yeah, but then we have to build uh, the revolution, Uhuru. Uhuru, thanks for that, Chairman Tafar. This speaks directly to the struggle here in the U.S. too. So I know that it will resonate, especially as you uh, make the demand for African students to move from the campus uh, to the communities, unite with African workers. Uh, you penned some articles on this topic in the Burning Spear, calling for the movement to join the African Socialist International. I know that these will be great articles for many of the African student activists that might be listening to this podcast to go and check out. So to check them out, go to theburningspear.com to read those articles. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU. Black Pyre 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Tafara McGarry, Asa Ampu, and Zakele Mkondo. So, for the liberal left, apartheid is the height of oppression. They celebrate the overthrow of colonial apartheid as a victory. Tafari, apartheid was officially from 1948 to 1994. How is the liberal left definition of apartheid misleading in understanding the oppression of African people in South Africa? Yes, uh, Uhuru, thank you, Comrade Masamilo, for that question. Because uh, as soon as you um, you asked the question, I thought of two people, you know, uh, Robert Mangali Sosobupe, uh, and uh, who was the, the leader and uh, co-founder of the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania, as well as uh, Steve Biko, who came later. Um, in the late 1960s and, um, and, and, and in the 70s, uh, who was uh, the leader of the South African Student Organization and the Black Consciousness uh, Movement. So Buke talked about, you know, the, the white people who are actually opportunists, uh, you know, they, they want to maintain uh, the social system, but they do, a, they are able to recognize how uh, the whole, um, you know, like the so-called conservatives, you know, they call the others conservatives, you know, that's how their character define white people that are, you know, openly, like nakedly anti-African and, and they call themselves liberal. And they, and they, and they, you find that they are proud of this, uh, like uh, characterization, this uh, like definition of being a liberal, which means that you may, you consider other people's individual rights and so forth. So they fight for the rights of African people, students, there was a student in um in the 60s in universities uh, that is that was known as the uh, what was that uh, that student organization, but it was mainly um the the, the white students uh, organization. But Africans African students were allowed to be members of that organization, but they never wanted to address uh, the question of African students being members of a conquered, uh, colonially dominated. A population, you know, like as, as African people, that's when Steve Biko uh, and, and and others, Unkhupuziti uh, and so forth, broke away from that organization and formed the South African Student Organization, which had as its ideology uh, the Black Consciousness, you know. And one of the things that Biko said was, "You'll have these liberals as soon as they come into a movement, they want to lead, they want to give it direction. They may even they even want to give it a ideological direction, organizational direction, in terms of." 
strategy, how we should move in terms of organizing our people and how we should move in terms of even our challenging and, 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 uh, and attacking the enemy. So he says they come into, uh, into the meetings uh, and then they, they speak for, for us and so forth. And then as soon as they go back to their, to, to, to their, to their households, they enjoy the resources that come from, from African communities. So that, that, there's that kind of uh, hypocrisy coming from, the, uh, from, from white people. And one more thing that he said, <clears throat> Biko said is that we don't want white people in our organizations. You know, We don't want white people in our organization because part of what colonialism is that it has affected our own uh, <clears throat> self-esteem, you know, the self-confidence of African people. You know, there's that dialectic, you know, the fact that African people are colonized, it affects us. We see white people as uh, these people that are supposed to make decisions for us. They're supposed to speak on our behalf. Whatever a white man says, that's right. You know, so we don't want white people to come in organization and make decisions in that way, you know. And uh, when, you, when you have a white person, he has this uh, superiority complex and the, white, the African has this inferiority complex, you know. So this is the kind of thing that we've experienced I know that it's being challenged fiercely. It's rare for white people to come out and feel like they can speak for African people. But we are seeing that it's still happening. And the black petty bourgeoisie, they tolerate that kind of thing, uh, you know, whereby a white person without making any serious commitment in terms of fighting for Africans to get reparations, they don't make that kind of commitment, but they're allowed to go and speak on our behalf, to go and speak about how African people are experiencing the oppression and so forth. So it's a real thing. I in South Africa even today, yeah. Uhuru. Uhuru, uhuru. Zakele. So we know the African working class has not benefited from anything in South Africa since the fall of apartheid. So if the African working class hasn't benefited, then who has? Yes, uh, thank you, brother. Thanks. Uh, so th that's a great question, brother. Uh, the African working class have not benefited uh, since the fall of apartheid. It's only the few uh, black uh, peri-bourgeoisie who are working for a system who have agreed to sell the, the long-term uh, interests of the African nation here in occupied Azania are the only one who have been able to benefit since the end of apartheid. It's only a few black people, just very few. So African people are still in the townships. They, they have no water have no road, have no development, uh, there's nothing for the African nation. So uh, it's, it's just the sellout only that benefited uh, since the fall of apartheid. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Asa, we talked a little bit about this already uh, to define what Zakele had mentioned as neocolonialism. What is neocolonialism? Neocolonialism is when the white man can no longer rule in the same old way that he always did, he would put someone of the oppressed population as the face, uh, as the managerial um, you know, staff member, as the president of the colony. So neocolonialism is a white man hiding behind the colonized white power and black face. <laughs> Yeah, Uhuru, comrades. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, just to to just to uh, speak in terms of what uh, Asa was talking about yeah, in terms of the neocolonialists, because uh, we have um, uh, here in South Africa there is uh, 
a group of uh, of people that identify themselves as like black nationalists of sorts and they don't want to recognize the question of the class question you know as if uh, like the, the african population is this homo- homogeneous uh uh like population where all black people like the chairman was saying like they make it seem as if all black people are on the right side of the question and, and whites are just uh, simply like enemies and you know and that's it you know there's no there's no explanation of how colonialism has been able to transform itself to maintain itself uh, by uh, like uh, selecting even these are uh, you know like people within our own colonized nation but that have an interest that is tied to the colonizer to colonialism uh, that tied to maintaining the whole social system you know and these people they always work against our own interest they work against our interest and they don't do that because they are ignorant they don't know something they know what they are doing but then it's in their own uh, interest as the as the, as the petty bourgeoisie to always sell out they sell out because they they are opportunists they always want to sacrifice the long term interests of the people for some short term uh, gain so we want to just to make an emphasis that our party our movement is fighting and uh, for for the interests of the african working class and all other organizations like the chairman chairman malishla has said is that they recognize i mean they represent a, a class interest you know so if you look at south africa organizations are just organizations there's an organization just saying we want a better country we want to solve the problem save our country and blah 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 but all those organizations they fighting to represent represent a class a, a particular class in society and we're saying that we want to go out there explicitly that we represent the african working class and anyone that wants a black unity and things like that they have to recognize that and should be able to commit class suicide and so forth so yeah uhuru uhuru oh appreciate that director you are listening to the people's world radio show produced by wbpu black pound 96.3 fm in st petersburg florida our guests are safari mugay Asa Ampu and Zakele Mkombo. Uhuru, Asa, uh, you've all been on the ground organizing since the beginning of the uprising. You all initiated the Bread, Peace, and Black Power campaign. What is this campaign and how can people help? Yeah, Uhuru, thank you for your question, brother. And it's a very important question, especially how it's asked in terms of what the people can do for the people. Um, the Bread, Peace, and Black Power campaign is the African People's Socialist Party through NPDAM's response um, to this issue in order to combat the neo-colonial narrative, you know, that the people are fighting for some kind of neo-colonialist uh, or some kind of neo-colonial reform. What we're really saying to the people uh, themselves as a class is that what you are is a producer of bread uh what you should have is power over that bread so we want bread peace and black power that's what we want because we can only be at peace if we have power you understand so that's that's the main campaign that we're doing we're trying to engage the community using this particular uprising right they call it looting we call it an uprising using this particular issue how to get the people back to political life and we wish we can actually have two aspects of tactical approaches to this thing first of all we got to be able to have the economic development aspect sorted out we need to help the people understand that everything that was 
at the mall or whatever the needs that the people have can only be solved through the revolutionary takeover of the means of production and the unification of the African nation. That's the second part of it. So we have to consolidate our nationhood and understand that this country is not our country. The police are not our police. And Jacob Zuma is not our brother or anything like that. Yeah, so I, I think that the other comrades, you know, Chairman Tafari and President Zakele will say more. But that's what the Black Power, uh, the Bread, uh, Peace and Black Power campaign is about. Uhuru. And, oh, I'm sorry, how people can participate in that is by sharing the information, the narrative that we're putting out. It's very important that people share it and get it out there and uh, raise resources because I think bigger than just raising resources for organizers, we need to raise resources to organize the community itself to be able to produce some kind of economic respite in our own hands so that we can say we did it, we fed ourselves, you know, and starve these malls and corporations. Uhuru. Uhuru, uh, Director Chafar. Yes, Uhuru, uh, Comrade Batmela, and SGS. Yeah, that, that, that was right on point because um, this is a, in response to what has just recently happened, you know, with uh, African uh, workers getting into these malls and, um, and, and, and taking reparations, you know, which is what it, it is, you know, taking reparations because we're talking about repairing the damage, you know, and the damage uh, in, in the African community expresses in, itself in, uh, in all sorts of ways, you know. Uh, like families are broken apart. There is, um, you know, like hunger and the, the poverty and so forth. African people cannot uh, be as productive as we are supposed to be in terms of creating life for ourselves, you know. So uh, so we, we go out there and be able to express that, to say we, we have material interests, we have needs, we are human beings, you know. So, And then we went to the malls and, and we did all of that. And now there is an ideological onslaught, you know, like uh, from the government and other, you know, petty bourgeois elements, all the other, you know, uh, like forces that have an interest in preserving South Africa, that have an interest in uh, the dispossession and exploitation of, of the African working class, you know, that uh, who find it convenient for them, for us to be starved in these townships. Uh, playing the role of being reserve of labor for the social system, for the bosses and so forth. So we said, uh, so the people were left almost defenseless. Immediately after this thing uh, stopped, uh, like uh, when they deployed the army here, they deployed the army, they're all over the townships. Uh, and, and also now the, 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 the president comes out and he calls uh, this, uh, so, somehow he said, he said this is, actually are orchestrated by certain people. And then he, he goes on to say, um, the people, the masses were, what do you say? He said the masses were, were manipulated, but then the masses knew what they were doing. They were motivated by, by the needs that they have. So we're saying the people will not be left uh, defenseless. That's why we have this campaign. And he's saying that no compromise, no surrender, you know? So we just want to take it beyond uh, where it is. You know what we are doing, what we are engaged in here in terms of the Black Peace and Bread, um, I mean, uh, the Bread, Peace and Black Power campaign uh, is not something that just uh, popped out of the blue or, you know, is part of the ongoing, uh, you know, trajectory to complete the Black Revolution of the 1960s. You know, like we are, are members of the 
uh, Uhuru movement, the African People's Socialist Party. And right now in our, in our movement, we are like studying the document, the new period that was written by Chairman Omali in 1979. And you can see this whole struggle that has been waged since our party has been uh, in this process. Uh, we, we fought many battles in the USA, in Auckland, uh, California in uh, you know Saint Petersburg and 19 um, in the 1996 uh, you know around Tyron Lewis uh, you know uh, Desi Woods earlier on so our movement uh, believes in struggle and we believe that the revolution will happen through our own effort as African people like it has been said that we are own liberators so that's why we are engaged in the struggle because we are the African Socialist Party and we are a party that. Uh, fights, you know, for for African liberation until until victory is won. So I just want to um, salute our chairman Omalia Shitela uh, for being relentless and uh, you know the confidence he has in African people that we can uh, actually liberate ourselves and and that's where we are. As you can see, the whole system is in crisis right now, and we just have to strike the final blow. You know, horror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. Uhuru, uh, yes, I uh, just want to unite uh, what uh, uh, my comrades have just said. Uh, is the time for bread, uh, peace, and black power. Uh, expose the real looters here in South Africa. <clears throat> so uh, I'm the uh, national president of Impitam here in South Africa. So Impitam uh, has adopted uh, this program uh, during this time to say uh, we're going to support uh, it uh, by uh, the members of MPTAM are the ones who are going to volunteer to uh, to lead the work that is going to expose the real looters here in occupied Asanya. During the, the campaign, the work is going to, to uh, bring new uh, contacts, new members to the organization. Uh, so uh, we're going to take every space we want to uh, to take every space where we are having uh, impetum members uh, during uh, this crisis. So, if the crisis comes back, it will find us on the ground. So, uh, impetum that that's what uh, is uh, is doing now, organizing the the African masses to say, come to the organization, so we can complete the African revolution here in occupied Azania. Uh, so, uh, we have to shut down Africa. So we we can claim back our, our our resources. So the African workers are on the right path. So Impitam, that's why is is supporting the, this campaign to say let's win uh, our bread, so we can have peace. Uh, so the solution is black power. So uh, we are, we are hearing uh, new names. Uh, they are talking about the coup here. So we want to say the workers. Uh, are the one who produce the bread. They, they, they cannot uh, do a coup because uh, they, they produce this bread. That's why uh, the, 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 this campaign is so important for Impitam to conscientize every African around the world to support uh, the African here in occupied Azania. As you said earlier on, that uh, South Africa is very important to the African revolution because of its uh, industries. So we want to intensify the struggle uh, for black power. Uhuru. Uhuru, Uhuru, Uhuru. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show. 
Our guests today were Tafara McGarry, Asa Ampu, and Zakele Mkong. Our theme song, Colonial Virus, was written by and performed by Elikia Ngoma. Thanks to the People's War Radio Show's production, research, and promotions team, including Jaja Robinson, Empress Livewire, and Ahipsa Panda. This has been the People's War Radio Show, produced by WVPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WVPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, the baddest nonprofit on the planet, whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. Thank you for listening. Colonial virus, mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.